0: So uh, let's just start really generally and broadly. Um, when we think about like genetic engineering and um, and a lot of its applications today, it's it's pretty broad when you think about it. So this is um, kind of just like a baseline question for our, our listeners to understand uh, the applications of genetic engineering and synthetic biology. But what are the biggest benefits of using? this kind of approach uh, in an industrial or like biomaterials context.
1: Um, and so uh, I, we have started the interview, I suppose, yes. and are, are you like recording right now or uh... Yeah,
0: we're doing a, a zoom recording. And then I also have like an audio recording going as well.
1: All right. So before going further, I have uh, one other uh, thing. Okay, so uh, in the second question, So you guys had is what metabolic characteristics make certain organism attractive for genetic engineering purposes. So instead of genetic engineering, replace it with metabolic engineering. Okay. Okay. Sorry, you have to repeat your question again. No worries. Or uh, can I go with the answer or you have to repeat?
0: No, no, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Oh, go ahead with the answer. All right, so you will edit it, it seems like, right? Uh, so if you're asking what are the uh, okay so what are the biggest benefits of uh, using industrial uh, of using genetically modified organisms right? So yeah. I will start my answer now. Okay. So uh, compared to uh, organisms that have not been uh, engineered by uh, performing genetic engineering or you know at uh, more elaborate uh, scale metabolic engineering, you'd be able to uh, increase a uh, tighter rate and the uh, yield of uh, any uh, bioproduct or in this case, uh, chemicals or fuels that we uh, focus on, which uh, you wouldn't be able to achieve uh, without uh, engineering. So uh, I think uh, that uh, is the uh, biggest advantage of using engineered organisms. You would be able to uh, enhance uh, the performance and uh, what are the largest hurdles yeah at uh, the moment uh, we are able to you know uh, create several strains to produce a huge variety of uh, chemicals and uh, fuels that are out there but uh, when it comes to translating them to the uh, commercial scale or at large scale so we haven't been as successful as uh, doing it uh, at lab scale. That's the biggest challenge. Okay, so as we scale it up, we don't uh, see the same performance we see at lab scale. So that's the biggest hurdle, I think. And uh, currently, yeah, a lot of research groups are working in that direction. Uh, we call it as uh, the issue of stability as uh, we expand the cultures to a large scale. So people are working towards
0: that. Right, and I imagine there would also probably be some uh, difficulty getting it into an in, in industrial scale also in terms of just like uh, people's level of comfort with introducing genetically modified organisms and things of that nature into these like previously entirely like automated and you know machine-based systems
1: okay um so this is a different question it seems it's not yeah this is yeah.
0: like a follow-up that i i thought of as you know you were speaking
1: Okay, Uh, can can you repeat the question again?
0: Yeah, I was just saying that, like, uh, you mentioned that upscaling the the operations that we do in lab right now, what we do like very small cultures and we work with small amounts and volumes of of organic cultures. Another one of the issues uh, might also be um, that, you know, people might not be as receptive to using genetically modified organisms in like industrial spaces so far. Like, has that also been something that you've noticed?
1: Uh, I think uh, you know this question of reception is going to uh, come from the public. okay So uh, if we are introducing genetically engineered organisms or uh, let's say genetically modified food that we are eating, then there, then there will be some resistance from the public. But from an industrial perspective, so uh, if a product can generate uh, you know a profit they are not going to be worried about it right? right so how it is done they are not going to be worried about it so that's where we weren't able to demonstrate that yet okay so that uh, stability the issue of stability for example okay so we'll forget uh, large scale even within the lab we would notice that okay so uh, uh, it performs one uh, uh, so a certain strain performs well in one lab and then we uh, try to get it here and then we would not see the same performance. or uh, it may perform well in our lab and as we uh, you know ship it to somewhere else, you know for uh, x number of reasons, you know it doesn't do well. And uh, so if it's not doing well in the lab and as we uh, translate it into industry and if you don't see that performance, then the profit gets affected that tie uh, is going to be their resistance from you know the uh, uh, people from industry otherwise i don't think uh, immaterial of whether engineered or non-engineered uh, as long as it makes profit they are not going to be worried about it right yep.
0: yeah that that makes a lot of sense <laughs> Um So, maybe going on to the next question, what metabolic
1: characteristics make certain organisms attractive for metabolic engineering purposes? And maybe what are some examples from the work that you've done? Okay. Uh, first thing, uh, to be able to uh, do uh, metabolic engineering, so we should be able to uh, target pathways, we should be able to uh, uh, manipulate a targeted pathway, and to be able to do that, we should be able to identify the corresponding gene in a genome. So the first thing that is required for an organism that you would be interested to perform metabolic engineering is it should have a fully sequenced genome at the moment. Okay, so it should have a fully sequenced genome. So we know where we would be targeting, et cetera. And then the next thing would be to perform this engineering, genetic engineering should be possible. Okay, so if for this organism he is amenable to genetic manipulations, that's the other thing. And then beyond these two, then I would say they should be able to grow fast relatively as well. Okay. So uh, uh, we consider E. coli and Saccharomyces cerevisiae so as like uh, the uh, model host. Um, and so, there are several other organisms that are being a focus right now, but for a large part of research, uh, these two organisms have been the main focus, right? And as we are moving away from them, so what we should also you know beyond you know, what we will come to it later, beyond the other characteristics that uh, we would uh, focus on. They should, if not uh, as fast as E. coli, they should be able to go relatively fast as well. Okay, so it should not be super slow because, say, okay, so it's able to uh, tolerate a uh, high temperature. Okay, so the, for that reason, it should not uh, grow very slow at It should just, uh, grow relatively fast as well. Okay, so these are some of the uh, characteristic. how uh, we would look into organisms uh, uh, for metabolic engineering. next one
0: okay so when you mention when you mention granted if
1: on using and introducing genetically engineered microorganisms on industry level but if it's successful there would be hesitation or um like resist even resistance when it comes to introducing this on uh, genetically engineered microorganisms in, in on industry level and this this would Can be concerned, maybe a bit concerning for the general public. So this is where ethics come in. So ethically, what steps should be taken to ensure that future implementations of SynBio
0: are safe and controlled?
1: Okay. So uh, although uh, we said that, okay, so uh, industry would be receptive as long as uh, the organism can make profit. So ethically, yeah, you should not uh, let the organism Outside the industrial setting, that's very important. Okay. So if you just uh, consider that uh, uh, your organism is going to stay in a reactor, that's what we are looking. But uh, synthetic biology applications go beyond. Okay, so we are doing a certain fermentation to produce a fuels and chemicals. So there are recent bio applications where the organism need to be introduced to the environment itself. For example, let's say we want to clean up an oil spill. right? So the organism needs to be introduced into the environment. So the safety measures that need to be put in, that would change depending upon the application and application. So the measures would come up by asking a certain several questions. Okay, so uh, I would uh, think that uh, um, so as uh, more drive goes towards uh, uh, scaling up these activities, whatever we are, uh, whatever the synthetic biologists are developing, uh, a more professional team needs to be formed who uh, you know raise the questions for the p- particular application and come up or evaluate the measures. That are in place, or that are to be uh, developed, that will make sure that uh, this organism would not get out of hand, or it will uh, get into the public and cause other unwanted uh, consequences. Right.
0: Right. So, just as like a, a personal follow-up to that question, um, both of our iGEM teams this year are actually working on projects that. Um, are attempting to use synthetic biology to combat water quality issues so like you said the um, the types of approaches we take to manage environmental containment and stuff are very different when you're working at like an industry level versus like an environmental level Um, when we Um, talk about genetically engineering for a lot of people that's a very foreign concept and they don't really understand how you might take a gene or you know a dna sequence from one organism or you know, from a a separate entity and put it into a new organism or or give uh, an organism new function. So can you maybe describe um, the process or experimental approach that your lab takes to modify an organism?
1: Okay. Um, So uh, for example, uh, if we want to uh, produce a certain product, let's say a field, we uh, try to uh, identify uh, within the large pathway, okay, so within the large metabolic network consisting of thousands of reactions, we try to identify the particular bunch of reactions which are closest to the product of our interest. And look, the simplest thing we would do is look for a precursor molecule from which this fuel can be produced. Then we would introduce genes, that uh, would code for enzymes that would convert this precursor to a field. Okay, That's the simplest first step you would do. And from then on, you could think about you other know, basic things like uh, enhancing the level of precursors by going upstream of that pathway and overexpressing all the other genes that uh, correspond to that particular pathway and enhance a precursor level and thereby uh, enhance your product level as well. All right. And of course, uh, people also do uh, um, knock out of byproducts. So we knock out unwanted reactions so that carbon flux can be directed to the precursors and from there to the product of interest. Okay, so these are some of the general approaches that people do to engineer organism or enhance the performance of the organism towards producing product of interest.
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, the
1: next question I'm going to ask is maybe more kind of like based on your like personal opinion rather than like actual lab technique. But what major directions do you see synthetic biology taking in the future? Okay. So uh, at the very beginning, we spoke about uh, you know uh, most of uh, the symbio research we do stays in lab scale and uh, we are not uh, translating it to a uh, industrial scale because of the stability issues right. So I think uh, that would be uh, one major research direction. Um, so that's the important goal, right? Whatever we are doing in lab, they should be uh, translated to a real world application okay So I think a lot of, uh, Research groups would be uh, focusing on improving stability of, of the organism, stability of the organism, even after like you know several generations, they should be able to retain the performance you see at the very beginning. That's one major direction. And then the next thing, now we are uh, coming to uh, realize that uh, often we would want to uh, perform jobs that. Uh, would be better if they can do it as a community all right so now we are uh, so so far we have been doing what we call as monoculture have a single strain performing the job and now there is a lot of focus on saying okay we develop uh, multiple strains so that uh, the job is better shared and uh, the overall performance improves so uh, on a paper that looks good okay and that's one direction we are working on or you know i'm when i say we here the entire research community but of course i see another challenge there okay so even with a single strain okay, the challenge of stability remains but then if you are talking about you know multiple strains Then the challenge of stability, you know, was zooms up. Okay, so it becomes uh, much more larger. It's similar to, you know, managing few people versus like a much larger group, right? So then the management challenges increases. And I hope as we, work on uh, techniques to uh, improve stability for a single strain and in parallel as we uh, work on you know community to uh, improve the performance of uh, whatever goal uh, you have. So um, bridging both together I think uh, we will be able to you know even make uh, the community work much better than a single strain that's the other direction. And in parallel to all these, you know, I would still see uh, uh, there will be a lot of research being uh, done on developing uh, synthetic biology tools, advanced synthetic biology tools. For example, uh, CRISPR is a very popular one, right? So uh, people would be uh, working on advanced. Uh, uh, Synthetic tools, say to accelerate high evolution, how to uh, perform uh, editings at uh, genomic scale, and so on. Okay, so these are some of the major directions.
0: Yeah. So kind of on that point, now that you mentioned CRISPR, there was one of like the more like technical questions that we might not include in the podcast, but um, mm-hmm. This one might actually be helpful for people to understand context a little bit more, but like I was mentioning earlier, like people when they hear genetic and engineering and synthetic biology, they don't really have a full grasp on what something like that or what a term like that truly encompasses. Um, I'm sure you know that like when people think of these concepts, they think of like CRISPR and designing, you know, those like designer babies that were in the news for a while. So you know in order to make people understand more of what the scope of synthetic biology is what are some other methods of genetic ma- manipulation and uh, other ways that you can engineer organisms
1: okay 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 so although uh, people uh, hear about uh, CRISPR a lot so uh, one particular technique uh, that uh, has been used for a lot of research is to express genes uh, Genes of uh, your interest in uh, plasmids, or we call it as a episomal expression. And that's a very uh, common technique used now, and it'll be there in the future research as well. So just expressing genes of your interest in plasmids, right? And uh, CRISPR can be used to uh, hate that as well. And uh, in parallel, so we also express genes in a chromosome, right? and that's where CRISPR is most often used. And there again, even without CRISPR, you would uh, use what is called as homologous recombinations to uh, introduce uh, genes of your interest into one genome, all right? So uh, for certain cases, we could say that uh, CRISPR enhances that efficiency, for example. And uh, apart from uh, CRISPR, the other uh, popular uh, genome editing uh, techniques, uh, you know, uh, or before CRISPR came into the foray were uh, called as uh, zinc fingers and uh, talons. All right, so those are some of the uh, popular and uh, common techniques.